This is Grace Grit and Getting It Done, the podcast for women who want to focus on their personal development and their professional priorities, increase their earnings, expand their influence, and advance up the leadership ladder all the way into the C-suite. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. My podcast, Grace Grit and Getting It Done, offers a practical guide for women working in the corporate arena. Weekly episodes feature conversations with recognized experts, authors, and influencers. I'm covering topics from navigating corporate culture and coping with gender bias to prioritizing self-care and managing work-life balance. For more information, or if you'd like to contact me, send an email to lisa at bigsky.coach. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. If you've read Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you might remember this as habit number five. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. This is one of the hallmarks of the emotionally intelligent leader. And if you're a woman who wants to step into a role of higher leadership so you can be the change that makes the difference, it is essential that you understand, learn, and practice this skill. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. And today we're going to be speaking with a communications expert. Sarah Coolidge is not only a strategic leadership coach, she's also a publicly elected official and she's a close friend and colleague. And Sarah is going to be sharing with you some of the important school skills, tools, and techniques you can learn to learn how to listen on a deeper level. This is not only going to enable you to create deeper connection with colleagues, superiors, and subordinates, but with your loved ones. Not only how to listen to the actual word choice, the verbal message, but also the nonverbal message, what is not being said. And we do this by the practice of deep listening. So we can craft our response to whoever we're speaking to. So not only do they feel understood, but we know that they're understanding our message. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. Now, there's many different ways you can listen, but I want to speak about three specific ways. Subjective, objective, and intuitive. So let me use a really random example. Let's say you walk into work and you ask your colleague, hey, how's your day going? And your colleague goes, oh, my morning was a dumpster fire. I realized the kids didn't have their lunches to go to school with. The dog had been walked and I couldn't find my house keys. Now, if I'm listening subjectively, my response would be, oh my God, that happened to me too. Making it all about me. This does not build connection. Let's talk about objective listening. You ask your colleague, how are you doing? And your colleague says, this morning was a dumpster fire. If I was objectively listening, I would say, I would ask, well, what happened? That builds a little bit more connection, but not exactly the connection we want. Here's your response if you want to practice intuitive or empathetic listening. Your colleague says, oh my God, it was a dumpster fire this morning. The kids didn't have their lunches to go to school with. The dog hadn't been walked and I couldn't find my house keys. I was like, oh my gosh, that is a dumpster fire. That sounds so stressful. What did you do? Now you notice I repeated her words or his words back to him. 
I then commented that it sounded stressful. And then I asked them, what did you do? So I use this very technique of acknowledging and validating the other person's experience by repeating their word choice and telling them it sounds very stressful and then asking them, how did they respond? So this is what Covey means when he says, seek first to understand and then to be understood. He's talking about the power of deep listening. So my guest today, Sarah Coolidge, is not only an expert in communication, but in how to listen so that you can speak in a way. So not only does the other person feel heard, seen, and understood, but that your message actually lands with the intention that you want to give it. Today, my guest is Sarah Coolidge. She is a longtime friend and a colleague, and she's a strategic leadership coach, and she's a publicly elected official. I am so excited she's here. So Sarah, my first question, and welcome, welcome. So great to see you. So always a pleasure. Um, why, why do people have such a hard time communicating? <laughs> so how much time do we have? Lisa, it's wonderful to be here. I so appreciate you um, letting me come chat with you, sharing this, and also, you know, the topic. So I, I heard your introduction about Seek First to Understand, and, it, and it's a very, very, very powerful concept, and, and that it really is, in part, the answer to your question. Why do we have so much trouble with it? Um, we weren't taught how to do it very well, to be quite honest, and and the magic of communication and speaking language, which of course, as far as we know, we're the only beings that have that ability, is we learn it when we're really young. So we don't attribute or remember the difficulty of the task of learning it. And then we go out and talk, 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 and don't realize that that means that we're doing it well and that people understand us. And, and really most of the time they kind of don't. They have their own ideas about what we mean, and we have our ideas. And if they don't actually match up, there's all sorts of issues. So understanding the power of communication and the real um, magic that is happening when it works right, because so much of our experiences are so different. Our memories, our, our education, our background, just growing up in the US and speaking US English doesn't mean that we're speaking the same language. It just really doesn't. And if you know that, then you can begin to address, how do I do this better? If you assume that I am really good at this and when someone doesn't understand me, it's because they're not trying to, for instance, then you're automatically on either a defensive or offensive kind of stance. There's a problem and that doesn't lead to automatic great connection and collaboration right from the right. get go. Right, exactly. You talk about the use of everyday language to create deeper connection. And I know the listeners are really going to want to understand how to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, part of what you said initially about the, the person with the dumpster fire, right? So, so the dumpster fire right there is everyday language, you know, and it's a, it's a metaphor for a big mess, a big problem, a big upset of some kind. And, and so, you know, listening in for the kinds of language that people are using right. is a real great clue as to what's really going on with them. 
And that's the, that's the other piece of listen first to understand, which is there's something underneath pretty much every message that someone uses, uh, especially when there's an upset of some kind. So, you know, the, the, the use of the words dumpster fire, you can connect with somebody just by repeating those words. Oh, it sounds right. like a dumpster fire, like you did. Those, their language, you mirror it, that really helps them because what's underneath is irritation, frustration, maybe some fear, maybe some anger. Those are the emotions that are underneath there. And, and, and what's happening for that person is, is worry about getting to work on time, financial stability, my job, and then my children, and then their success in school, perhaps. I mean, there's so much underneath it. Right. And, and that's where the everyday language of, you know, gives you a doorway into it. And you have to become a message detective as to what's underneath to really be able to connect with them and help them when they're upset. Oh, I love this. It's really about paying attention. I want to take a little bit of a left turn because one of the things that so intrigues me about what you do is that you're a publicly elected official. And we all know uh, what is going on in politics now. People are talking at each other like this. They're not communicating. So how did you even step into that world? What motivated you? Hmm. Well, you know, part of, I want to acknowledge what you just said about the, the you know, what's happening, what we see in yeah. politics, which truly we also see it in all sorts of areas of our lives. And, and that's one thing that I really want to work to change and that I feel like in my small world, in my small little official capacity, we have been able to address and change. And so um, the, the developing the skills to help people get out of this miss completely or this pounding into each other and actually linking arms and working together in collaboration and cooperation that's where i think we need to be i think we have a real sh uh, shortage of leadership today and, and new mm -hmm. leadership and new leadership ideas and in particular women in leadership um only 15 percent of the boards boards of directors of all kinds that are out there only 50 percent of the people on them are women and only 82, well, let's not say only, 82% of the people that run for office are white men. So, so, you know, you and I are talking about women in leadership as well and how, how we can support them to step into that because many women won't. They have great ideas about what they would like to see change in the world. They would really like to contribute to that, dedicate their time and energy and wisdom to that. And they see that system, they see this missing or this butting heads and they don't want to be a part of it and we lose all that they have to offer as a result and the ones that do step in they are in danger of losing what they really know they could contribute because of that system and that's the skill set that they really need to be able to communicate in a way that builds collaboration and cooperation to understand what's happening in the biology of the people involved, because right. guess what? We're still biological creatures. Yes. And then learning how to build boundaries and protect them so that they can effectively implement the change, connect with people that the way they want to and cooperate and collaborate to build something better than anything any one of us can do alone. Right. You mentioned something that I think is so important to discuss, and that's the biology, that mm. primitive brain that kicks in. Please talk about that, because I know our leaders are going to have, like I did, an aha moment. Mm. 
So, so I'll be pointing to my head and I'm not going to claim that I'm a neuroscientist and that I know exactly where everything is in the brain. I do know for sure that not everything is in one, just one place. However, in general, brainstem back here, frontal lobe up here. This is our most newly developed area. We didn't have it when we were not human. It's new, it's recent, and it's relatively small in terms of the number of neural connections, about 300,000. Back here, 4 million. Back here is the mechanism that keeps us alive and it's, and we inherit it. You know, we call it the reptilian brain. It's been around forever. Fight, flight, freeze, all back here. And when this is triggered, 4 million connections, this shuts down. This is where we have our language, our ability to innovate, our ability to be compassionate. All of that's up here and you don't want to lose that. And, and the thing is you can, if you're triggered, and if you don't understand that that's what's happening, when you get into situations where someone else is upset or you are, you may not understand that this is biology and there's not so much you can do about it in the moment if you have been derailed. Besides just getting the error in so that we can move out of our reptilian brain and up into our prefrontal cortex, what other sort of strategies could you suggest to our viewers when we know we're triggered we either have a fight with a loved one or a dispute with a colleague. What are some other things that can just get us to focus again and go, okay, let me respond strategically instead of react mm -hmm. and say something I don't want to. So I love this question and, and you may not like the answer. <laughs> it's all a good. Big part of it is, is prep work. I mean, yeah. it, it, we are talking about neural networks here, right? And and we've got some really powerful things that can be triggered in us just by a single word that someone says that maybe we used to hear somebody in our youth say to us and it, and it fills us with rage or with, right. with, with sorrow. And, and the minute that word is said, the neural network is activated. So we want to be proactive about all of this by doing everything we can to create different neural networks. Neural networks that will respond to something as simple as taking a deep breath in a more powerful way than they will for you right now, perhaps, if you haven't been working on your breathing as a way to help you stay calm. Because I've learned over time that now if Lisa says to me, Sarah, just take a deep breath, I can feel my body shift before I even actually take the breath. It's a trigger now for me in terms of my body, my body knows we are now moving into safety. Just hearing those words at this point does it. So what we want to be doing is giving our body signals that it's safe. And, and you know, out in the wilderness when a tiger was attacking, it was over at some point we were either being eaten and therefore done thinking about these things or we weren't. And if we weren't, we needed to get out of fight or flight and get back into productivity because there's still food to be gathered and children to be cared for and life to live. And so we usually did things like naturally. Sigh. Big breath. And if you watch animals, they do this. And, you know, another one is literally to shake it off. And I don't want to shake too right. much because my camera will shake. But just like a dog or a horse, they shake it off when it's over. And, and when you do that, you're telling your body, you can go back. We're okay now. You can go back into being productive, growth, and, and learning, and all of the other things. Um, and it takes some time. In the moment, a breath will help. 
if you know that you are really activated, one of the best and smartest things to do is tell your person, I am really activated right now. And I know that if I keep talking to you, the next thing that comes out of my mouth might not be good. So I'm going to head off for about 20 minutes to give myself a chance to process all these chemicals. Now, you'll modify that depending on who you're speaking with and what they know. However, that's what you really need to do so that you can have a constructive conversation if you're that activated. Yeah, that is awesome. It's really understanding uh, situations that you may be triggered in. If you're mm -hmm. working with a boss who tends to be a screamer and you didn't grow up with that, it's just knowing I'm going to be triggered. Let me take a breath. And then let me just say, I've got another pending appointment. I'll come back to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I want to ask you specifically, what was it that made you so interested in communication that got you to start actively searching and learning about it and then acquiring this expertise and experience? Mm. Well, I'm lucky enough to have grown up in a household uh, where communication was really sort of front and center, let's say. I um, third generation English major right here. So a lot of history in my family. I mean, my grandfather taught English at the university. My mother, you know, a lot of focus on language, what those words really mean, how to use them appropriately, how to pronounce them, all that kind of stuff. So that was deep in me. And then right next to that, I had my dad who had brain damage and he had something called aphasia, which meant that he could not speak very well. And he often made a lot of mistakes or left words out completely, said, you know, chair when he meant table or whatever. And because my sisters and I were fortunate enough to be born after that, we never knew him before he had brain damage. We grew up with somebody who spoke aphasia. It's basically the same as if you grow up with two languages like English and Spanish. Instead, it was English and aphasia and didn't know for a really long time what that meant. But what that meant is I have a, a really strong ability to get at what's underneath. What does dad really mean? What's, what's really trying to be said here? And, and being able to put it together and actually offer it back. Is this what you mean to say? Which was a huge relief for my father. And my, my mother never had that wiring. So it was really a different experience. And I could see what that different experience meant. So love my mom. And often she would be really bewildered by why he said what he said. And, and it could often lead to a lot of frustration in him, a lot more irritation in her, defensiveness, whatever. And so it would escalate into a, a blow up very frequently and quite frightening as, as children. And yet also I could see what was happening. And I was, I was curious, well, why can't she see this? What's mm -hmm. really happening? And it wasn't, you know, I needed to understand it. And, and just over time, trying to understand it, bumping into my own struggles with relationships, with things happening at work where people just didn't understand what I was doing and it seemed pretty obvious to me. Well, that's because I use language in a different way than you do. And personal relationships, same thing. And, and once you get out there and you're working with groups like we do in government, there is so much that rests on people feeling heard and seen and understood, which is what you mentioned first, first segment. And I'll argue that if we really were good at helping one another feel heard and seen, we wouldn't have any wars of any kind. We just yeah. wouldn't. I yeah. just believe that wholeheartedly. And, and that comes yeah. from my childhood. 
of seeing what it's like to not be heard, to not be seen when you're right there trying so hard to communicate. Right. That is so under, uh, so perceptive on you, your part that you talk about as a small child being able to distinguish what was going on and to move into that problem solving mode of, Dad, is this what you mean? I want to ask you specifically, I know you lead a lot of workshops and webinars and you do some extensive training. What are some of the really big issues that you tend to see again and again and again that people, either your clients or your audience, have surrounding effective communication? Well, Lisa, the biggest one, or probably the biggest anyway, as I think about it, is one we've already talked about, which is the need to feel heard. Yeah. And and how much angst and upset that causes people when they aren't. And, and, and it's really pretty simple to help them feel heard, usually. And it's something you already touched on, which is reflecting back what you heard them say and, and literally feeding it back to them. And it feels very artificial and, and, and fake in our in our current sort of standard language that we use. And it, and it works magic. So, so even if it does feel funny to you, taking the time to say something like, you know, I heard that you say a dumpster fire and, and I'm imagining that means you're, you're feeling pretty upset and maybe even like scared about your job just because of how late you were for work today. Is that about right? And, and I'm not doing word for word what Lisa said in that story earlier on, but I'm imagining what might be behind it and underneath it because that's where we feel heard. When we believe that someone sees us, somebody is in here with us instead of out there, but really with me, our emotional load goes down. The stress hormones begin to drop. Oxytocin comes in, which is, you know, the connecting among the others. That it, that, that's what be, literally shifts in the body. And so you working hard to, to see that other people are heard is a great skill set and it's it's one i use basically all the time in my government work and and probably the biggest pain that people have they might not be able to identify that it that way in the beginning they'll say something you know i have a boss that always gets angry or or i you know i just can't figure out how to talk to my spouse every time i do you know this happens whatever it is there are other things and and usually they do still kind of lead back to well well have you really connected with them so that you feel like you know what's going on with them and gotten them to say yeah that's it that's where i'm at because yeah. then there's real empathy and real connection and that's what all of us really want we are designed to connect with one another we were not safe to stay alive if we couldn't depend on, collaborate, and work with one another. That's what our biology is all about. And we are a little bit away from it in our culture. However, our biology still responds to it. Yeah. I love that. Such practical advice about, I heard you say, and did I get that right? Those two mm-hmm. phrases in building connection. Um, what are some tools that you would suggest to um, let Well, let me use an example that we've talked about before where we've got the mom and the kid and the kid might be running out the door in a rainstorm without an umbrella or a raincoat. Mm -hmm. 
And so how can that mother talk to the kid and how could that kid respond to the mother in that situation where the mom's just trying to keep the kids safe and the kid is thinking they're waterproof, which they might be. <laughs> or not thinking about water at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. So, so what I'm gonna share with you is, is in a large part based on the work of Marshall Rosenberg, who is um, a man no longer with us on the planet, but he left a great body of work behind. And it, it, is, it is either called nonviolent communication or compassionate communication. And it is a style of communicating. And it's a, a method that you can learn with practice to do more and more automatically. And the result of it is creating a life for yourself that is peaceful, easeful, you have the progress you want. It's not about getting other people to do what you want. It's about creating a life that you want. And sometimes they'll do something else, but you're still going to feel good. And most of us would really like to just feel good. It's kind of like the, why we do everything we do. Right. And, and so, you know, how about it? And so the mother who's watching her kid go out in the rain without a coat on, she's got some basic needs that are not being met. Need for safety, perhaps, for her child might get sick. Need for health for her child. And, and it also might be a need for being heard. Like I've, I, I said this thing to you about wearing a coat and I'm not feeling heard right now. So, so there's some needs of the mom and then there's some needs of the child, which is, you know, going out, having adventure, um, exploration, nature. These are all basic needs. We all have needs. It's why we do everything we do. It's why we have the good habits we have and the bad habits we have. They are all an attempt to meet needs. And, and a lot of our language and the strategies, I'm going to call them, that we use in language are designed to help us meet needs. And some of them really don't work very well. So the mom <laughs> being in the habit of talking about, you know, honey, I have a need for you to be safe and healthy. And that's why I have this rule that I've requested that you wear a jacket when you go outside. And I can see that right now you, you might be really feeling excited about getting out there and having your need for play and adventure met. Is that about right? What do you think we could do? Would you be willing to spend some time with me making a plan where you can meet your needs for adventure and play and I can meet my needs for health and safety? Most people will respond to that very creatively yeah. instead yeah. of being put in a position where you're wrong, I'm right, I'm the boss, you're not. All of those language styles that we have don't create collaboration asking somebody to partner with you on creating a plan to meet both what you need and what I need here. That's the key to getting progress and synergy, which of course the mom wants with her kid and any of us who are in work situations want at work. I mean, this is any human action, interaction of any kind. We want to be able to do these kinds of things, to have yeah. people work with us, not against us. I know that my listeners are going to wonder, how do they connect with you? How can they work with you? But I just want to share, you can reach Sarah at Sarah at SarahCoolidge.com. The last name is C-O-O-L-I-D-G-E, Sarah at SarahCoolidge.com. So Sarah, can you just talk a little bit about your process and let's say if someone came to you and they were stepping newly into a leadership role what are some of the things you might work with them on well number one i'd congratulate and celebrate the heck out of them because 
we need people in leadership, as I said earlier, and, and I, I want to encourage people to step into it and, and, and support them to know, absolutely know that they can have the impact and, and um, contribute the wisdom that they want to contribute to changing some of the systems that we have up and running in this world right now. They can do that and they can do that without losing their own sense of values, their own bearings. I just know that. I know that from personal experience. And I also absolutely believe it of our species that, as I said earlier, humans are designed to connect and collaborate. That's when we are our happiest and we <clears throat> need support sometimes in learning how to do that. Beyond that, the, the first things that I would do with somebody is, is really begin to talk with them about what is it they want to create in the world and what do they see as obstacles and in specific with the people in your world. So, you know, are there people that you will have to interact with that you don't feel comfortable with for whatever reason you have a history with, or they have a position that intimidates you on some level and, and begin to actually craft the ways to interact with them, including literally different word choices, different plans for, I mean, we were, we sit down sometimes and actually plan out a conversation. You know, tomorrow you're going to be talking with your boss about a raise and, and you can imagine the kinds of things that this person's going to say to you because of your experience and, and how that might derail you. So let's plan it all out ahead of time and practice it ahead of time because those are sort of bigger conversations. And I wouldn't want to start with those. Start with the smaller, safer ones where you can interact with somebody, I don't know, at a, at a gas station where you're buying a soda and, and there's a lot of stress going on. And you can practice interacting with that person in a way that you walk away feeling good about it. And they actually feel good about the fact that they were the lucky one that got to sell you the soda. And building those skills, building that neural network, so that it's much easier for you to automatically be in that kind of energy, that kind of space communicating when it is a bigger, scarier kind of conversation. Yeah, we're really actually talking about creating healthy habits mm -hmm. and letting go of those unhealthy habits surrounding communication. And let's just acknowledge many of us today feel like we're not heard, seen or understood. And so what we do is we respond by our message just getting louder which then makes the listener retract. So mm -hmm. what we want to have happen is exactly what does not happen. What does yeah, not happen. Well, it's a strategy that we've developed. Maybe if I say it louder or faster or in a different language, you know, I'll start to speak Spanish. Maybe that'll work. I mean, we get desperate and we have these things we've tried and maybe they worked when you were a child in your family to be heard. I had this spring. I don't know. It's a strategy and it's also a powerful neural network. So again, once you're, once the, the wheel starts spinning, kind of, it's gonna keep going if you haven't developed a new wheel over here. Right, that you exactly. you can lock yourself into when you need to. So it takes some time. I mean, it's not like learning a whole new language. Thank goodness, if you if English is your only language, you get to still speak English. However, it's it takes some practice to make it be an automatic thing, something that you can do when you are activated, worried, scared, triggered by something. You want to be able to fall into this kind of language easily and not um, default to those powerful neural networks that have been maybe running your show the whole time and probably running the show for 
everybody around you because right. you might be the only person in the world that's working on, okay, I think I, I need to get at what's, what's underneath here. What are they really needing? What are they really feeling? And, and none of them are doing that. They're all just autopilot. So you are like the key to the whole thing going better. And, and you want that to be a really powerful skill set that you can draw on wherever you need it and a, a way of life. And again, right. that's what creates a healthy, happy, collaborative life. I mean, right. This is why want. <laughs> this is why it's so important to have someone who's an expert to guide us through this, an expert like you, because mm -hmm. obviously you have looked at this, you've studied it. It came about in your childhood. This is something that has always been of interest and you've developed an expertise. So for everyone listening out there, if you wanna improve your communication skills, if this is essential to you, I highly suggest you reach out to Sarah. I have personally worked with her. You can reach her at Sarah, at sarahcoolidge.com. That is Sarah at sarahcoolidge.com. She will respond to you and you can determine whether it's a webinar, whether it's one-on-one -on -one coaching, whether it's a series of classes or speaking engagements. I highly recommend go to an expert. Do not try to do this alone, kids. Do not. It does not work. Sarah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done. I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. If you'd like more information or to contact me directly, send me an email, lisa at bigsky, B-I-G-S-K-Y dot coach. Lisa at bigsky dot coach. Thanks for listening.